This was the sound outside the Russian embassy on the evening before Russia invaded Ukraine a week ago. And uh, obviously, what has changed since then, an earth-shattering event that none of us, I think, really know where the destination is. A lot of people thought that Putin wouldn't do this because it's just so insane. And there's such little incentive to do it. Um, which is obviously now since he's managed to cut himself off from the global, global community almost entirely. Obviously the sanctions aren't going to stop him doing what he's doing. But, uh, you know, if he is truly off his rocker, then we're in a pretty scary place. That's how I see it. Anyway, so with all that in mind, I thought I'd forego the regular episode this week to just reflect on a few things which have been going on. Not that anyone really wants to hear what I have to say, but, you know, there it is. The only social media that I do is Twitter, and I kind of decided from the start to use it as a way to see what people on all sorts of sides were saying about things, and so I follow flat earthers and um, communists and even liberal democrats. And um, it gives you a kind of distorted view of what discourse really is, because people with quite unusual views band together on Twitter, and they all like each other's posts, and then manage to convince themselves that their opinions are far more widespread than they really are. That's why you end up with the Corbynistas still living somehow in 2017, when they had a reasonably decent general election, completely forgetting the much worse one they had in 2019. And Corbyn lost two elections, and these people are still talking him up as some, some kind of hero. Anyone who loses two elections, they lose their job. It's This is just... Anyway, so these people are yeah, gunning for Starmer much more enthusiastically than anyone in the Tories. And I know what they would say. It's because Dharma is a Tory. Okay, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, so these people are holding out for socialism in the UK, and that's just one example of the way that Twitter manages to give people convictions which are just very unrealistic. But they hang on to them because of the incentives within the program. By saying these things and by attacking certain things and by having certain talking points, they manage to get all the endorphins that comes with those likes and retweets. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, so, and when it comes to the war and the Russia situation in general, I think something similar is going on. You know, I, I get it from a kind of political philosophy perspective. I get it why Fox News, Nigel Farage, Steve Bannon and Trump and people like that, why they support Putin. He's everything that liberal democracy despises. They are fellow travellers through and through. You know, Putin funds the neo-Nazis across Europe, and these people are also uh, buddies with Trump and, he's, and his allies. You know, they all believe in the same idea of small groups, or maybe even just one man, ruling countries like kingdoms, where power is ruthlessly exerted and fear and respect amounts to the same thing. Of course, Putin represents that better than everyone, so 
that's why he's admired. People like Farage, they talk up patriotism and democracy as much as the next guy, but in aligning himself with Trump, he made it quite clear who he really is, uh, for anyone who didn't already know. That's a fascist. And when war came to Europe last week, Farage was off to America to do one of his conferences where undoubtedly he blamed Russia's invasion on mixed-gender toilets or something ridiculous like that. So I get where they're coming from, the fascists, but why the left? For anyone paying attention, it's no surprise, obviously, they've done this for years, but it is still baffling. You do kind of have to go quite far left to find it, but even just a little bit down the scale, you hear some of the same talking points, the stop the war cry about NATO causing legitimate concerns for Putin, as if former Eastern Bloc nations should have their sovereign security concerns ignored. The idea that Putin would simply be a nice to his neighbours if NATO didn't exist is just laughable to the extreme. Even with the protection of NATO, he routinely hacks um, neighbouring countries' uh, systems and plays havoc with their elections as much as possible. The West actually, far from threatening Russia with its might, the West has actually been colluding with Russia. They colluded with Russia to denuclearize Ukraine after the fall of the Soviet Empire and um, supported Putin in his ascendancy to power. And they haven't brought Ukraine into the EU or NATO, although that's looking much more likely now if we ever see the other side of this. For all the mistakes made by the West and by America, they've actually enabled Putin to hold his wealth and power since the start. They've done whatever they can to bring him into the established international system. In London, all of his buddies, and probably him too, have managed to stash their money here in, in homes, and, and they've been shaking the hands of our politicians for a couple of decades, going to the events, playing tennis with Boris Johnson, as I recall. They haven't exactly been ostracized and uh, victimized in the way that Putin and his um, defenders on social media would claim. Actually, Putin has his own agenda, regardless of what the West does, and his paranoia is off the charts. But now, of course, he's galvanised NATO, created the very thing he pretended was a threat to him. But these leftists will repeat the lies, sounding increasingly similar to the hard rightists. But while the right have an understandable admiration for this billionaire dictator, who channels the will of the people, so he would say, deals with opposition by murdering them, the left tend to take pride in their moral backbone, well, that always seemed to be the case. So I see two main strains of thought which are leading these useful idiots to the position where they sympathise with Russia here. And one of them is the people who think, on some level, Russia is the Soviet Union. Uh, and I'm, I'm talking about the Twitter folks here, really. You don't see these ones in mainstream much, but these people have actual hammers and sickles on their Twitter pictures. They share memes of Stalin looking handsome, and basically they're an irrelevance beyond the few followers that they have, but they do indeed exist. They didn't get the memo that the Soviet Union fell and Russia turned into a mafia-led capitalist economy, and uh, they just think it's still communist. Some, some would say, why would they support the communist uh, Soviet Union in the first place with its famines and purges? But they did, or, you know, the oldies did, and the young ones romanticize it. 
Of course, they seldom want to leave the comfort of their own home in the West to join their comrades in the country that's getting it right, despite their conviction that nothing is worse than the evil American empire. It's more like an academic thing for these people. You can leave the hunger and the censorship and the political assassinations to the people on the ground. This is the alternative to capitalism. That's the appeal. Although, as I say, they forgot that Russia is capitalist, nastiest form of it as well. The other places these leftists are coming from is simple anti-Americanism. This is much more common. It's connected to the anti-capitalism, kind of comes from the same place, but it's, it's not calling for communism. But this angle on things sees things in kind of terms of geopolitical power struggles where America is the hegemon and is thus the cause of all the world's ills. They'll bring up in support of this position the Iraq war, obviously, Libya, American imperialism in general, CIA assassinations, um, the fact that only one country has dropped the bomb so far. The argument amounts to the line, which of course is used by the Kremlin itself, that America did it, these bad things, and so other countries doing them also bad things is justified. It's not obvious why, if America has done bad things, it's okay for Russia to do them, but as Orwell might have said, all wars are bad, but some are less bad than others. Others will claim that they they don't pick sides and there's blame on each side, and uh, both sides are bad. A leftist who says this doesn't particularly like to be reminded who they sound like. I watched those very closely, much more closely than you people watched it, and you have uh, you, you had a group on one side that was bad, and you had a group on the other side that was also very violent, and nobody wants to say that, but I'll say it right now. I'm uh, probably relying on Twitter a bit too much here, but you know, that's where I see most of this stuff. However, when you do turn on the news and you see Sergei Lavrov, Russian foreign minister, or any of the others from within his circle making an argument, they literally point to Western hypocrisy and leave it there. They rarely even try to defend their own actions. They just say, America's bad. That's exactly what you get from organizations like Young Labour, led by Jess Barnard who thinks that the main lesson of Russia's invasion of Ukraine is that the blind eye we turn to the plight of the Palestinians is outrageous, which, of course, she already thought. Now, I don't think people like this are pro-Putin, per se, just that they can't work their way out of their own narratives. Everything comes back to the talking points they already had, which, uh, again, to bring this full circle, is just what we see on the right wing, with Fox News hosts blaming the war on the woke. Uh... Of course, there is the uh, third group, the ones who are literally being paid, like um, British, quote, journalists and activists on RT and Sputnik, like um, George Galloway, a man who I recall once made a great speech uh, in, in, in Washington condemning the American invasion of Iraq. And that man can really talk. It's a shame that he doesn't want to put his oratory skills to good use in condemning his own paymasters. But uh, like I say, he, he's, he comes from that uh, school of thought which says that everything in the world that's bad somehow is caused by America. And even when Russian missiles land in Ukrainian apartment blocks, there's still some way 
to argue that it's all started with America. You know, I'm not pretending that America is like all righteous in the world, far from it. But it's just baloney to um, have this moral equivalence. You know, um, anyone who has the sh a shred of sympathy for the Russian people, the real Russian people, not the clique in the Kremlin, would would not have any qualms in pointing out the obvious truth that Putin and his cronies have stolen the country's wealth, um, limited the, the people's freedoms, and now has, in their name, invaded their neighbour. Anyway, for people like George Galloway, I just wonder if they're paid in rubles, because that will be the test to see how dedicated to the motherland they really are. Coming back to the uh, discourse issue, it seems to me that whether left or right, there's this huge force at play, which is keeping commentators on message. Whether they want to use this war, which could go nuclear, to condemn Democrats in the USA, or people who go to gay pride, or the Israeli Defense Force, or capitalism in general, or even the New World Order. I think people develop an identity about what they despise, and their followers reward them for despising it publicly. Whether this is by simply liking their tweets, or watching their videos, or even donating to them on Patreon and things like this. This is audience capture, and there's no conspiracy here. It's a result of the democratization of information. But alongside that, we've had the democratization of truth. It's interesting to me that even while we're staring down World War Three and people are talking about nuclear bombs, this force remains so strong. Uh, to sum up this probably nonsense guillon, it's been quite depressing to see how the disinformation campaigns of the Putin regime have influenced people who are generally quite decent, tugged on their moral heartstrings in a way that somehow makes them excuse Russian war crimes or simply deflect the issue to American war crimes for the last half century. It's not surprising that for those who have campaigned against Israeli occupation of Palestinian territories or British bombs that the Saudis use on Yemen, this latest war can be portrayed as a vindication of their position. And they say that we care about this one because they're European. And uh, the thing is, I think this is a misjudgment of the severity of this war, not for the individuals who perish, for whom obviously each life lost is a tragedy of equal proportion, but possibility that this one could plunge the whole world into a war from which we could never emerge is there. And to conclude that this war is somehow caused by America when Russian shells land on hospitals in Ukraine is just as delusional as it is offensive. And, uh, well, one more, uh, now I come to think of it, aspect about the way that people end up in the places they do. And I think that this is maybe a the true condition of our time, as it suggests a complete nihilism, it's conspiracy theories. This is becoming endemic, as far as I can tell, and it worms its way into people regardless of their political positions. Hence why socialists and fascists end up saying the same thing. Once you start framing the mainstream media as an enemy in itself, and let's remember that people that hate the mainstream media include the alt-right Trump supporters, 
the Corbynista left, the Remainers in the UK, the Brexiters in the UK, the anti-CNN Bernie Sanders lot, the anti-vaxxers, the anti-woke, the pro-Palestine people, and the pro-Israel people. And yes, the flat earthers, and the people that believe the world used to be covered in giant trees. Well, each of these find cause to hate the mainstream media, probably because the mainstream media is large enough and diverse enough that, that every opinion you find disgusting can be found if you look for it. And same with every fact that shoots your narrative in the foot. Well, once you deem this ignoble blob your enemy, then who becomes your friend, you know? It's got to be those who traffic in telling you exactly what you want to hear, often regardless of the facts. I was in an anti-Brexit group where many people thought Boris Johnson was faking having COVID for sympathy. Now that's conspiratorial thinking coming from the moderate centre-left, people who bemoaned the dodgy facts coming out of the Leave campaign. So all parts of the spectrum can be afflicted by this. Anyway, if they convince themselves that the mainstream media is feeding them nonsense, then they're obviously going to be drawn to the counter-narrative. And that'll happen on other occasions too. And with all conspiracy theorists, they grant themselves a special insight into things which regular people, dare I say sheeple, they simply don't get because they're brainwashed. And it feels pretty good to be the smartest person in the room. And in the case of this war, the counter-narrative is clear. The Ukrainians aren't the heroes that the media says they are. We don't even need to go further than that. We don't need to claim Putin is the good guy, just that we shouldn't believe the media and all the hypocrites that are pretending to care about the cause, and that's good enough work from the Kremlin's perspective. There's something called the liar's dividend. It goes, yes, I might be a liar, but so too is my opponent, and if that's the case, you might as well stick with me. This is a campaign of doubt and cynicism, and it's one of the ways that autocrats and would-be autocrats keep their support. They're all just as bad as each other, but at least the mainstream media isn't on my side. The reality, of course, is that they're not all just as bad as each other. But, of course, this perspective is quite easily dismissed as being naive at best, brainwashed at worst, and simply not edgy enough to be an interesting take on things. Why listen to the dry, fact-driven version of the world as presented by the BBC when you could have some cool activist journalist on the ground with a selfie stick who's actually trying to make the world a better place. He doesn't get corporate funding, does he? Now that's a form of authenticity. Uh, as I say, I am on Twitter, and if you do want to follow me, I don't really talk about the podcast that much, but I do bicker with people occasionally. I don't know if that's interesting to you, but you can find me at SMKY Podcast. And my th- Thoughts are with all those who are on the front line, all those who have lost their homes and all their possessions as they flee, and especially those who have lost loved ones. And glory to Ukraine.